Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Today in episode 13, I begin a new series called, What Do You Mean By That? I'll be doing my best to teach about some of the subjects around the church world that you may hear a lot about, but may not be clear on, such as ordinances, salvation, and the Holy Spirit. My first topic for today's episode is communion. I hope you'll enjoy listening. Let me know if you have questions or comments on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me under my name, Randy Whitlow. You may have seen in the news a couple of months ago about a controversy concerning baptisms in the Catholic Church. An Arizona pastor had been baptizing people by saying, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. All of his baptisms were declared to be invalid. Now, there were deep theological and thoughtful reasons behind this declaration, but it caused a lot of confusion and consternation by all who had been baptized by this pastor. These folks were now unsure about their relationship to the church and even their relationship with God. Now, I'm not here in this discussion to argue for or against this interpretation. That discussion is above my pay grade. What I am here to do is to explain what my faith tradition, the Assemblies of God, teaches about the meaning, the significance, and the practice of baptism. I'd like to begin by talking about the place of baptism in the life of a Christian. Baptism is considered to be an ordinance of the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word ordinance basically means something that has been ordained. The Lord instituted and commanded two commemorative ceremonies to cause us to reflect and remember His sacrifice on our behalf and to celebrate the new life that we gain when we turn our lives over to Him. These two ceremonies, or ordinances, are baptism and communion. I'll talk about communion in my next episode, but speaking briefly, Baptism is an outward celebration of an inward change in an individual's life, and communion is an inward reflection and remembrance of the outward sacrifice by Christ on the cross that is shared by all in the community of faith. So what does baptism mean, and just as importantly, what does it not mean? Baptism is a public profession of faith made by the person being baptized. The person who conducts the baptism typically will give the person being baptized the opportunity to give a testimony of their faith or to answer questions that confirm that they are committed to live their life as a child of God. Baptism doesn't cause salvation. Baptism happens because salvation has already occurred. Now, there is a common misperception that baptism washes our sins away. Do you remember the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? (laughs) Now, I know folks either love that movie or they just don't get it and hate it. But there is a scene where Delmar finds himself at an old-fashioned baptism service being held down in the river. 
he goes to the head of the line and gets dunked. When he gets back to his friends, he says, Well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's the straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven everlasting is my reward. Well, that's a fun scene, and by the way, I fall on the side of the folks that love that movie. But although Delmar's experience was thrilling for him, his theology was off. No preacher can wash your sins away. Your sins are not laying at the bottom of the river or the baptismal tank. If you're baptized as a sinner, all that's changed is that you are now a wet sinner. So being baptized is not washing your sins away, and it's not being accepted as a member of your church. Now, if that's the case, why even mess with being baptized? Why would Jesus require this of us? Well, the reason is this. When we receive Christ's offer of grace and He forgives our sins, that happens on the inside of us. There is nothing happening that is immediately visible to those around us. But if that inward change is genuine, the outward parts of your life will begin to change in ways that are visible. It is impossible for someone who is genuinely changed by their decision to become a Christ follower to keep doing and saying the things they did before making that decision. There is an inward change and an outward manifestation. In our last episode, I talked about the greatest commandment, to love God with every part of our being and to love others the way that we want others to love us. That is the inward change showing that it is genuine by the way we treat others. Inward change, outward manifestation. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains it this way in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Once again, we prove the validity of the inward change by the outward declaration. So it is easy to decide that we are going to do something to change in some way as long as we are just thinking about it without anyone holding us accountable. I can make up my mind that I'm going to lose weight and eat healthy, but if I don't tell anyone about this decision... I can keep eating the way I've always eaten, and no one will notice. So there has been an inward change, but no outward manifestation. On the other hand, I can declare to all who will listen that I will eat better and actually do that for a while, but if I'm not convinced in my mind that this change will benefit me, I will eventually fall back into my old eating habits. There was an outward manifestation, but there was no inward change. So both elements are required for us to genuinely become followers of Christ. The first part is the internal change. It can't just be mental assent that this is a good idea or something that my spouse or grandma wants me to do. No, it has to be as it is described in the scripture I just read, believing in your heart. And then there has to be the outward declaration Baptism is a declaration that your old way of life is being buried and your new life has begun. 
It is a wonderful public declaration of the change that has occurred as you receive Christ as your Savior. Now let's shift to some practical aspects of baptism. You may be wondering, what is the proper method of baptism? Some churches dunk, which is called immersion, and some churches sprinkle. Now, as I said earlier, I'm not here to slam any other faith tradition. My faith tradition holds to baptism by immersion. Now, there is a scriptural basis for immersion as the preferred method. The description of Jesus' baptism speaks of him coming out of the water after being baptized. In Acts chapter 8, there is the story of a convert being baptized. It speaks of going into the water and coming out of the water. But to me, the symbolism of baptism by immersion is powerful and compelling. As the minister lowers the person being baptized under the water, it symbolizes the death of the old life. And then being lifted back up symbolizes the new life, clean and fresh. A baptism service is a time for great celebration of changed lives. When I was a boy, what would happen at a baptism service is that the piano player and song leader would be ready to begin a happy and energetic chorus just as soon as the person being baptized was brought up out of the water, and folks would clap and cheer and sing the song, and it was a joyous time. Baptism is one of the most joyous ministry opportunities that a minister can have. So how does it work? How, how does it actually happen? Well, in some settings, the person being baptized will be given the opportunity to give their testimony of coming to faith in Jesus. More typically, the person being baptized will be asked a couple of questions along the lines of, Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Followed by, And do you intend to live as a follower of Christ for the rest of your life? Assuming an affirmative answer to both of these questions, the baptizer will say, Upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then the person being baptized will be lowered until they are completely under the water and then immediately brought back up. Some faith traditions will go so far as to immerse three times, once for the Father, once for the Son, and once more for the Holy Spirit. Now, I personally have not witnessed the triple immersion, but I understand that it is still practiced in some churches. Next, I'd like to talk for a minute about whether babies should be baptized. Once again, I'm not going to trash anyone else's tradition, but my faith tradition doesn't baptize infants. This is because of our belief that baptism is a public profession of faith in Christ that only a person who can understand right and wrong can understand. Since babies have no understanding of right and wrong, they cannot make a profession of a changed life of following Jesus. So instead of baptizing babies, we hold baby dedications, which are really dedication services for the parents as they promise to raise their child in a godly home. Some churches in my faith tradition involve a baptismal ceremony for babies as part of the dedication, but they are clear that the baptism, which, by the way, involves pouring a small amount of water on the head of the baby, not putting them under the water, 
but it does not make the baby a Christian. It does not make them a member of the church or offer a spiritual protection against anything bad happening to the child. At most, it is a declaration that this child belongs to a Christian home. The ultimate spiritual disposition of the child will be up to the choices made by the child once he or she understands right and wrong and realizes the need for salvation. So let me wrap this up with some answers to the question, should I be baptized? Well, since it is one of the ordinances of the church, the broad answer is yes if you have received salvation through God's grace and faith in Jesus. But what if you were baptized as a child? You weren't an infant, you understood right and wrong, but you didn't really know the significance of what you were doing at the time. Should you be baptized again? Or what if you were baptized years ago, maybe even as an adult, but you left the faith for a time? You quit living as a Christ follower, but now you have come back to your faith. Does your recommitment require a new baptism? Or maybe you hear that your church is going to baptize folks and you just feel a desire to be baptized even though you have been consistent in your walk with Christ. Is it okay to be baptized again? Well, let me answer this by giving you my opinion. And remember that it is my opinion and not church doctrine. We believe that baptism is to happen after salvation, so it is not a requirement of salvation, but an act of obedience to the instructions given to us by Jesus. So if you are a believer in Jesus who has never been baptized, I would say that yes, you should be baptized. As to the other situations that I described, or even others that I didn't describe, I would leave it up to you. There is no wrong answer here. If you feel strongly that you should be baptized again, then do it. I have seen folks who have been rebaptized for a variety of reasons. I've seen recently married couples be baptized to declare that their home will follow Jesus. I've seen people be baptized because they were going to enter a very difficult season and they wanted to declare that they would be placing their complete trust in Jesus to see them through it. Each time I have seen this happen, it has been a beautiful and very meaningful spiritual moment for the person being baptized and for all who have witnessed it. So if you have a reason and you feel like you should be rebaptized, then I would encourage you to do it. I hope that this teaching has been helpful to you. I love the ordinances of the church and the rich symbolism that accompanies them. I love serving a congregation with the ordinances of the church. I love how when we understand their meaning, they're no longer just rituals that we observe, but a meaningful, life-changing act of worship. Next week, I will talk about the other very precious ordinance, communion. I'll see you then.